And I'd be like, if my parents had just done the work, (laughs) I would have less work. And so I would just be raging. I would be like, gosh, why would you guys like take care of your, like, cause you take care of your crap. I have so much more crap to do. So yeah. So if you're angry, (laughs) just know that that's a normal part of the process and it doesn't mean you can't handle it. It just, that's, that's a very normal reaction is all I wanted to add to that. Hey, babe, are you overwhelmed and burnt out by never-ending to-do lists, constantly giving your time to others, and feeling out of balance in your personal life? And are you ready to get absolute clarity on your life's purpose and activate the best version of you? Then it's time to ignite that inner fire and rediscover the fierce, confident woman you are born to be. Welcome to The Beam Life, where myself and other guests empower you to take steps toward the life you want so you can truly be everything and more. I'm Caitlin, your empowerment coach, new bestie, and lover of all things leopard print. It's time to get this party started, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Beam Life podcast. We're so happy you're here. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation today with author and podcaster, Corey. She is so (laughs) fabulous. And we like met via Instagram through my right-hand woman, Amanda, who found her. And then when Corey and I chatted, we like literally couldn't shut up. Um, (laughs) So I'm, I'm very like, like just almost like giddy for our conversation, which is hilarious because we're not talking about anything giddy. Um, (laughs) No, no. So Corey, so happy to have you here, girl. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I'm also really excited about our conversation. I was worried about how much we talk, if it was going to be just a wild uh, conversation of just convoluted, no focus, (laughs) but no, I'm excited to be here. And that's okay. Sometimes the best conversations are from no focus. <laughs> they're honest. They're honest yes, conversations. They're honest. I, I honestly, speaking of honest, honestly, wish we had recorded our pre-call because I'm like, there was so many like gems of wisdom in there um, that, you know, I'm like, we'll repeat some of them today, but you know, those, those precious conversations sometimes just can't be repeated. So yes. we're going to come up with new stuff and all the things, but before we dive into like the deep shit that we're going to talk about, <laughs> tell us a little bit surface level, like who you are, what you're doing, um, and what you're all about. Sure. So my name is Corey Shrum, and I've published over 25 books. Most of those are fiction with a few poetry volumes thrown in. And I also have my memoir. And I began in the traditional publishing space. I went to school for an MFA. I was very focused on that aspect of publishing. But in 2014, I actually left traditional publishing and founded my own publishing company, Timberlane Press. And at the same time, I was still teaching writing to college students for several years as I built up that business. And then I went full-time with my writing in October 2018. And so I've pretty much been doing that ever since until July 4th, 2020, when (laughs) I got two very life-changing phone calls and my deeply enmeshed life of female entrepreneurship, of being a fiction author, of living this very creative life was upended. And it led me to launch two podcasts, Who Killed My Mother and A Well-Cared-For Human. Mm. So we all know who killed my mother. I'm sure that caught people's attention. Like, wait a second, <laughs> she's writing these books and now she says podcaster. And one of them's called who killed my mother. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that, because that's really probably like your newest podcasting is your newest creative Kind it is. Yeah, I, <laughs> yes. I did not expect to be a podcaster. I didn't set out and say, Oh, I'm going to use my voice to tell stories one day. Um, actually I had the opposite. I had this anxiety. A lot of authors have to get up and read their work to other people. And I was dreading that. <laughs> and now I climb in a closet in my house. Every day. 
every day and record something. So it's quite the shift for me. Absolutely. And it, it was a shift for my fans as well, because my fiction has a lot of crime elements. And so at first they thought who killed my mother was like a new fun thing that Corey was sure. doing. And then they're like, wait a minute, like, why would the main character be named Corey? And so I had to actually make a video explaining everything. I was like, yeah, this is not fiction. This is my life. And they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, it's yeah, wild. It's, it's been a shift for sure. Yeah. So what exactly happened? Tell us a little bit about and fill us in on that story so that we can you know, provide some context to our conversation today. Sure. Uh, July 4th, 2020, I received two phone calls. The first one was from my uncle telling me that he had gone into my mother's bedroom and he had found her dead and that uh, he thought it was an overdose because she looked blue and he, he was actually a heroin addict himself at the time. And so he he had some history with that. So he thought he knew what the situation was. And I was very confused because my mother did have a history of addiction and struggling with alcoholism and stuff in my past, certainly through my childhood, but her health had deteriorated so much because at this point she's in her mid to late fifties. So she mm -hmm. had not been doing anything like that for a long time. She didn't have the physical capacity to, to do that. And, um, so I was really surprised that he thought that that was a thing because he also had told me just, you know, a week before or something like that, that he, that she had not been on anything. And so it was just, it was a very different conversation than what sure. we had had in a really long time. And then four hours after that very confusing conversation, I received a second phone call from a homicide detective telling me that he thinks that my uncle is responsible for my mother's death, that they're going to arrest him for the outstanding strangulation warrant that was already against him for my mother, because he had never been arrested for a domestic violence situation that had happened earlier. I can't remember exactly how long at this point, if it had been a full year or if it was just several months. And um, so they were going to take him on that they were going to start an investigation and they used really frightening and ambiguous terms like the state of her body and the condition of the scene. And I'm like, what does this mean? Like, because they couldn't tell wow. me anything right away. Sure. So I did, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, does it just look suspicious or is she actually in pieces like, <laughs> like some clarity here? Yeah. Like, tell me what's going on. And they couldn't give me anything. And so that started my journey, my quest to figure out what had happened to her and what the situation was. Cause obviously I had this person who was lying to me and then also the authorities who didn't know what was going on. And so who killed my mother was my quest to figure out what was going on, but also it was kind of the chronicle of that journey because I was releasing it as things were happening. So it was very much in the real time. It was, it was up to date as I knew things, I was telling people things. And so it was quite the experience. I know you've done a lot of healing just from our conversation, but I yes. literally can't imagine what you must've been going through, like in your mind, receiving these phone calls. I mean, I know, and we'll go a little more into it as much as you're willing to share about sure. your relationship. A lot. Okay. <laughs> I, I put it, I've already put it all on blast. Like it's there. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, so it's like, I know your relationship, as you've shared, wasn't the greatest with yeah. your mom and parents that doesn't make losing them any easier no, or not at all better. And, and then I think it almost, at least the way I feel like situationally, it would feel like even not only now are you dealing with grief, but you've got this confusion element mm -hmm. around it. So you know, we talked also about, and for those of you that want to know the rest of the story, like <laughs> me, we're going to go to the podcast and finish the Chronicles because, yes. um, yeah, that's, that's what that podcast is for is for you to be mm -hmm. able to finish and see the outcome. But ultimately what we're talking about today is how to really start to rebuild that relationship with yourself. And really, I'd love to focus on your healing journey, if that's Absolutely. okay with it. Of course. Because I think it's inspiring to hear, you know, 
I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners are not going to have a direct, uh, relation as in knowing someone, especially a relative that got murdered. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. However, a lot of people will relate to a situation like me and you were talking about, which I thought was fascinating, the juxtaposition between, you know, I had a life previously where I was very unhappy or I should have been happy because I had all the things, the baby, the business, the marriage, but I was miserable. And you had a situation where anybody now that's just heard, okay, this girl had a horrible upbringing. Mom was murdered. Definitely is definitely given a pass not to be happy in life. It's okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. myself that next time I have a bad day, Corey, you have a pass to be. You have a pass. You have a hall pass. That's fine. Um, but yet you're like this, like beam of light, literally on the beam life, beam of light. Oh, and you. I just find that so inspiring and beautiful. So like, how have you started to like find this happiness and what was like some of the first steps you took as you were building this podcast and getting to understand this situation? Can you tell us a little bit more about like your life growing up and how this all transpired from then to now? Absolutely. I, I should begin by saying I obviously was not happy for a long time. <laughs> it wasn't like I was just Woo! throughout this whole experience. I think it's really important to be realistic that 100 percent. Yeah. When you're in the deep of it, of course, you're miserable and of course it's difficult, but you really can find a way out of it to to a very different place. And so absolutely. My childhood was very difficult. My problems with my mother started immediately from birth. It wasn't something, it culminated in this terrible experience, but it it was not new, this, this difficult relationship that I had with her. And so I'll talk about the, the before, before we get to the, the, her death itself. So before sure. that, when we were growing up, when I was, I was growing up, well, maybe she was also growing up. She had me yeah. quite young, actually. <laughs> she was in her early twenties. I was only born like four days before her 20th birthday. So she was also pretty young herself and she had a deeply traumatizing childhood as well. Both of my parents did. So they were not uh, well people. They were not healed people. And so raising a kid was going to be difficult for them regardless. And when my father went to prison unexpectedly for, he was convicted of rape and he disappeared from my life from several years. And my mother was raising me. She so slowly devolved into what I considered now madness. Like she just became really unstable. She was obviously unhappy, even from what I remember as a child, like a young child, three, four years old, that she was unhappy with my father, but her situation seemed somewhat stable. Like I don't remember drugs or mm. alcohol. You know, she was there with me all the time. But when he went away and we moved back to her her ancestral home where her parents live, or my grandparents, she somehow, something about that made her really unwell. She slowly kind of went straight into this addiction, alcoholism, crash and burn. And I was very confused. I didn't know what was going on. And obviously I was already going through some stuff because my dad is gone and I don't understand why he's gone. And uh, so we had this contentious relationship exacerbated by the fact that she was prone to getting in these really dangerous situations. Like sometimes she would disappear or sometimes, you know, she wouldn't turn up for several days or sometimes wow. she would turn up, but she would be black and blue and look like she was half dead. And it was just very stressful for me as a child yeah. because I was always worried something terrible was going to happen to her. And, well, and as we know it, that that's what happened eventually, but it was this chronic stress that I had. And so when I did finally get that phone call, it was like my worst fear had finally come to pass. I had been expecting it all my life. And finally at, you know, 30, 36, it was right before my 37th birthday, 36, she, you know, it happened. It finally happened. And so it was a, really challenging. It was really difficult. Our life had been really challenging up until that point. But also because of how she died, it's kind of interesting. Like I told you in the pre-interview, you don't want to say, oh, I'm glad my mom was murdered. Sure. You know, absolutely not. But I do often wonder if she had died peacefully in her bed when she was 70 years old, if I would have been so 
confused and torn up and desperate for answers that I would have dug so deep into her past. Because in the course of the investigation, the way that she died, it really drove me to try to find answers. I, I just was eaten up. I could not just sit with not knowing. Yeah. It was making me crazy. And so I started talking to the people that had known her when she was younger. I started really getting aggressive with it. I'm sure people were sick of me actually. Like, tell me about her. Tell me about her past. And so I was really digging for answers. And a lot of really dark truths came out that I had not known about my mother. And it just pulled our entire life into focus. So what I mean by that is there were all these episodic moments that seemed chaotic, like terrible things that had happened. And it was just like, well, that's a terrible thing that happened. And it didn't really make sense why it happened. It just seemed mm -hmm. like maybe she was just so unwell that she would do these random things. And that view of her was exacerbated by the fact that my father narcissist and I do mean narcissist in the personality disorder not the way we throw it around right. sometimes with, with exactly. like a with a uh oh gosh he's such a narcissist no I mean like literally if he was to be evaluated not that narcissists ever really do this but I'm 100% sure that he would have the personality disorder because of his traumatic childhood the way he views the world and so there's there's some mentally um I don't know how to frame that politely, different, yeah. <laughs> different worldview. And so he was always telling me, you know, she's crazy. She's predictable. It's her fault that your life is like this. You know, I don't know why you keep trying to be around her. And so he was also solidifying this view of her. And when she died the way she died, and I refused to rest without answers and finally uncovered the truth of what had really happened to her and why she was the way she was and why she was struggling the way she was struggling. It just changed everything. And it, and it brought me a lot of healing because I just saw her in a way that I had never been able to see her before. And I was like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. like it brought so much compassion, so much empathy. And more importantly, it removed this thorn I had as a child raised by a very chaotic person that maybe there was something wrong with me. Like if, if you have a parent and they don't do right by you, you know, the kid grows up thinking, well, I wasn't good or something was wrong with me. You know, why couldn't she be a good mom? It must be because I was really difficult or, you know, but there's the kids take it on themselves that there's something wrong with them. But once I was able to see, I was like, oh my gosh, it was never about me. Like it was, it had yeah. nothing to do with me. And so it just, it offered a lot of healing. I understood her for the first time in my life. And I was just able to forgive her out of hand for everything that happened because I honestly just don't know how she could have done any better given her circumstances mm. now that I know what her circumstances were. Sure. And so it, it, it was difficult, but it was also deeply healing. Like makes me have tears in my eyes thinking Aww. about your capacity for forgiveness, because that is tremendous capacity. Cause I know you, you know, obviously just on the surface have shared things like, you know, your father being put in jail for rape and addiction on, you know, both sides and you're dealing with narcissism and difference abuse and being scared of your mom. So these are all things that like you said, uh, the hall pass of like, I'm never going to forgive you again, hall pass. You don't need to forgive <laughs> people for that. Um, yeah. However, there's a couple things that I want to go into more. And I sure really relate to this because like we had talked about, I, I read that book, what happened to you by Oprah and this neuroscientist for a journey to help with my parenting, because, um, I so wholeheartedly believe in what you're doing. And I think that it's interesting that your natural instinct was to want to know about your mom more. I'm not sure that that's nor uh, like normally someplace someone would go, <laughs> um, especially given that. And I'm so glad you did and then decided to share it because it really can bring a lot of peace and hope, I think to people and like, much like a lot of what you're talking about is in that book that I read and why I read it is because I was having a difficult time. 
mothering and my, my daughter is, oh my gosh, she's equally as strong-willed as I was as a child. And good luck. Right. It's we're both Scorpios with Leo rising. If you follow any of that. So it's like, um, but it's interesting because I was feeling shame that I wasn't a good mom. Yeah. And then she is, who's not even six yet. I'm sure it was like, I want to be a good child. Like, I don't want to be bad for my mom, but also was having difficulty. And then I realized, oh shit, how is she going to ever learn to regulate herself? I'm not regulated. I'm losing yeah. my mind <laughs> with her being like yeah. doing her kid things. And so it's almost like this ridiculous cycle we get in where it's like, you know, don't hit, but I'm going to spank you for hitting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I understand. Like, it's so interesting. So I love that as you were almost, you know, you said before your 37th birthday, you're in a full adult woman, but yet you went all the way back to this childhood and were able to see your mom as like the human and the difficulties that she had. And I think that that is so like, someone was only doing her best. And even though her best was really bad, um, it was still her best, you know, and it's hard to fault someone for just doing what they only know. Absolutely. So, yeah, with my, I think one of the things that helped make forgiving her so much easier than forgiving my father, for example, is that my Mother, even though she really struggled and she was really inconsistent and she would do these things that would terrify me, like her turning up black and blue, obviously having been, you know, beaten by someone. And that's very traumatic to a child to see your mother like that. Oh my God. Yeah. And even though these terrible things happened, one thing that helped it really throughout time helped me to really stay connected to her was that she was still very loving as my mother. Mm. She was still very affirming. She was still very, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like, you're so precious. Like, she was very supportive, very affectionate, very, um, you know, she was good at mothering in that sense. Like, there was never any doubt in my mind that my mother loved me. But it's just that she could not be there for me in any kind of secure way, in any kind of healthy way because of what she was dealing with. And so when I came to understand why she couldn't, it was like, oh, my real mom is the loving mom. Like that was who Mm. I was seeing underneath all that stuff. And it's like, oh, but you know, if she could have done better, she could. And another reason why it makes it so easier to forgive her is because my father, by contrast, he puts up a very strong front. Like he's a very, um, almost, aggressive, take the world by the horns. I'm going to bend everything to my, to my will, Um, which means that he was also very critical of me as a child. Right. So he made me feel like I was the biggest piece of crap in the world and that nothing Mm. I could do was good enough. So had my mom been like that, I feel like it would have been harder to forgive her because she would have been so detrimental to my sense of well-being. But even though these terrible things happened with my mother, there was always love. And so it just understanding her removed that confusion I had about why she wasn't healthy and why she did the things that she did, but she had never made me feel like I was anything less than her precious, most important thing in her life, you know? So it's like, Oh my gosh. So yeah. Yeah. So that did make it easier in a lot of ways that I, she was that for me. She yeah. couldn't do a lot of things, but she absolutely did that. And it meant all, it made all the difference. So I think it gives me hope too, because, you know, being a, a parent, um, and I think this even probably relates to romantic relationships or partnerships where it's like, you start to, when you, when you have revelations, like what you're talking about or the things that I've read and and I start to realize you know, no person, no human is perfect. And we all get passed down this like bag of shit from the person, <laughs> yes, <laughs> from the person before us, like mainly, you know, whoever were our caretakers yeah. and, um, or like our direct circle. And it's like, 
every generation gets the bag, but there's different shit, more shit in the bag that you're carrying. And it makes you, when you have this, like it's empathy and also compassion that you can build, but it makes me like, I'm like, okay, these are the kind of tools I want to teach my daughter because it's helped heal my relationship with my parents. I've had great relationships with them, you know, my entire life in ebbs and flows minus like rebellious stages and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But there were certain aspects where I'm like, oh, that annoys me or that frustrates me. And then you're like, but that's not on them. That's like sort of what they knew. Mm -hmm, And now I can take what I don't like and make it different. And I'm sure what, what there'll be definitely things that my daughter doesn't like, and hopefully teaching these tools helps the next generation to also start this pattern of just general understanding, empathy, opening up doors for communication and honesty and all that stuff. I just, I love it. Oh, absolutely. I, before we get too far away from the inherited bag of shit, I just want to add, (laughs) I just want to add, it's also pretty normal that when you start sorting through that shit to be very angry because there was definitely moments where I was committed to to healing myself to building building a better relationship with myself but you know when I would come up against something difficult some difficult piece of trauma or self-limiting belief or anything and I'd be like if my parents had just done the work (laughs) I would have less work and so I would just be raging I would be like gosh why would you guys like take care of your like because you take care of your crap I have so much more crap to do so yeah so if you're angry (laughs) just know that that's a normal part of the process and it doesn't mean you can't handle it it just that's that's a very normal reaction is all I wanted to add to that The Beam Life is more than a podcast. It's a sisterhood designed to encourage and empower women to take steps toward the life they really want and deserve. I want to invite you to our exclusive yet inclusive free community. Don't miss out on the monthly community calls, mini events, member spotlights, opportunities for giveaways and prizes, and so much more. Join me and other women just like you today by clicking the link in the show notes or head to the Beam Life Build Your Dream Life community on Facebook. I can't wait to see you there. I think it's like sadness too, you know, it like is. you have oh, absolutely. this vision of how like things are supposed to be and then mm-hmm. it's not. And you feel like sadness, rage, um, almost like resentment. You're like, why was I chosen to have to deal with this? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Um, But now you've taken that and have truly, um, like my podcast episode this week, which I just, it was me solo. I talked about this very thing where I read about in the story or in the book by Martha Beck, she talks about writing your story instead of from beginning to end, from end to beginning, because Mm -hmm. you start to recognize that there were these moments in your life that we've labeled as like bad or terrible for you. That would obviously be your mother's murder, but in a sense, how, when something like that happens, it's like a trajectory moment that ultimately led you to be this human that you are today that, um, without it, things would look really different. And that can feel really crazy saying something like that when there's a murder or a death involved or a horrible illness. And I don't mean it in that way, but in a sense where you took a scenario where most people would just be like, I don't even know how to start dealing with this. I'm going to crumble. And then you're like, I'm going to make a podcast about this. I'm going to share my journey. I'm Mm -hmm. curious, like, what was your thought process in that? Like, why did you decide? Because a lot of people said maybe have chosen this, but kept it private. Mm -hmm. Um, What was your decision in like making a podcast out of it? When, when this happened, when she died, I had already for many years been a writer, as I mentioned earlier, I had already been doing this. And so I already understood that expression was better than keeping it inside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Keeping it inside makes you really unwell, especially if you have a lot of stuff like I did, you, it's physically impossible to keep all of that inside of you without also being really unwell. So I did learn the power of expression throughout my healing journey. So I, I was already on board with, I was going to have to figure out how to express this. And 
had I been anything else, what if I was anything else, a painter, a carpenter or something, I'm yeah. sure I would have chose some other way to, to express these feelings, to express this experience. But what I did have was narrative, right? So I, that's what I do. I, I make stories. And so I made a story where it was running through the present of this investigation, but also running through the past of everything that had happened to us before. So I weaved those two timelines together throughout the Who Killed My Mother podcast. But as to why I decided to do it as a podcast, eventually I did make it into a book, but why did I start with a podcast? It's because there was something very intimate about telling the story. So I've written like 25 books, right? That's a lot of books. So it's not like you can't read one of my books and see my history in it. Absolutely. You can, if you knew me, you would see me in it. But I had never sat down even with some of my friends and told them just how bad things were. Like a lot of people knew Corey had a really difficult childhood, but that's different than talking about emotionally, like what it's like to, you know, find your mother collapsed on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, with banged up track marks, haven't seen her in days. That's an entirely different experience. Walking into her hospital room because her head has been, you know, caved in and she's almost died. And the doctor's asking you what care you want to make. And you're like 20 something years old, you know, mm-hmm. like this, these are totally different, <clears throat> excuse me. They're totally different experiences than just, oh, Corey had a rough childhood. And I was like, if I'm going to do that, if I'm really going to take you into this with me, I don't know. There was something about using my voice that felt so important because I was like, if I'm going to tell you, I want to tell you actually me with my voice so that you can hear, you can hear it from the person who experienced it. And I honestly don't know if that was an, an instinctual choice or, or what, but it just felt right. Like I felt like I shouldn't just write it writing seems like another way to hide. Yeah. <laughs> like if there's a book, like I'm there's I'm hiding behind the page, you know, you're looking at a book, you can't see me, you can't hear me. But I felt like if I was really going to step forward and tell this story, then I was going to do it. Like I was really going to do it full, full bodied here, yes. no, nothing to hide behind. And so, yeah, I guess in that sense, when I think about it, it took a lot of guts. <laughs> it took it's- a lot of guts. Yeah. I, I like feel so much of that because I started my podcast to going through my divorce mm-hmm. and, um, I realized, you know, that that was now in hindsight, probably a brave move to make because yeah. it was, everything was like in real time. It was really raw. And I think that when I, I did it oppositely. I feel like I am very challenged in the writing field. I speak Mm -hmm. much better than I write and my brain thinks really fast. So sometimes even when I'm writing, I like forgot what I was going (laughs) to say versus if I just talk, it's like word vomit. And I'm like, I probably said too much, but at least I didn't forget what I was going to say. So I started it also as like a healing journey and it, and people really, like resonated with it. They were like, Mm -hmm. we want more of this. Like we totally feel where you're at, whether or not they were going through a divorce, it was that they were at this like crossroads in their life. So yeah, cheers to, uh, sharing our vulnerability. Cheers to terrified women doing what terrifies them anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm the opposite of you. Yeah. So I, I write better than I speak, but I'm getting a lot of practice. So here we are. So here we I, are. I would never know the difference. I'm going to say you're oh, good at thanks. both. <laughs> oh. Okay. So, Perfectionist, but I'll go with it. Just did yeah. a podcast episode on a well-cared for human like two weeks ago about not being a perfectionist as I sit here and demonstrate my perfectionism for everyone. Yeah. Oh. I love it. Are you, do you do Enneagram by chance? No, I don't. What is that? Okay. It's like a kind of like, I'll be curious if you do it and then share it with me, but I'm an Enneagram three. So it's a number system one through nine, and -hmm. it's like a personality assessment kind of thing, but perfectionism is a big part of three. And Mm -hmm. so I'm a three. So I was curious if you did it, what number you were. Um, No, all I know about myself is I'm a double Leo with the cancer rising and I, uh, INTJ very introverted. Okay. 
can only handle so much of people. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm I need to go ENFJ or something. Whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. There so you go. The, the extrovert part. Um, yeah. But I love it. I love it. I love sharing that. And yeah, like I said, I'm a Scorpio, Leo, Aries, wild human. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so getting back to rebuilding this relationship with yourself, like you've taken us through that healing process, starting that journey. But even then, I'm sure that you felt, I don't know, like as a child, you've shared that you felt like a lot of responsibility for some of the things because you didn't know any different as a child. And this wasn't just like you discovered these things about your mom and then everything was fine. And you're like skipping down this road, happy, go lucky. (laughs) My life's great. Everything was great now. Everything's perfect. Um, so how have you managed to be like who you are now with this podcast next podcast called like a well-cared for human. Mm -hmm. So how has that kind of journey looked? What has that been for you? Sure. Absolutely. When who killed my mother ended, it hasn't been over that long, but when it ended, I got so many emails from people telling me that they just did not understand how I was okay. (laughs) Like how I was a functional person after everything that had happened. And it really brought me back to earlier, like in my early, late tweens, early twenties, when I was really struggling, I was in a deep, dark place. And I was like, oh, that's right. I have come a really long way. And maybe people would benefit from learning how to move from that sort of space to this sort of space. So it did inspire Mm -hmm. me to to say, oh, not just sharing this story, but actually I probably have a lot of other stuff to share about how to rebuild yourself if you're completely broken down from things that have happened to you. How do you work with really strong, difficult emotions? How do you build tools that you don't have and that no one around you had? Like no one even realized that a tool was a thing. (laughs) Like neither of my parents even realized tools were a thing. Um, How do you break habitual patterns? And so that aspect, absolutely, I've done that. And it isn't like my life is perfect, but I do have a lot more tools and resources and support now. And I did have to learn how to acquire and create those things over time. But as for your guilt part of the question, like, was I feeling um, really responsible, guilty for things that happened? Absolutely. I was really drowning in guilt when she first died that day that I got the two phone calls, I was a wreck and I was holding myself together because I didn't want to terrify my wife at the time. Sure. Like, she's a very solid, steady person. And so when I have really strong, she's like, oh my God, I don't know what to do for you. And of course she's a great partner. So she's like, I need to do something. And she can get easily overwhelmed if I'm you know, in it. And so I waited for her to go to the grocery and then like completely fell apart. I was like on my knees, on the ground, sobbing. Mm-hmm. I was Poor telling thing. my my uh, hypothetical, you know, mother, like, or the spirit, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this happened. And I was just really in it. But so it isn't like you can spare yourself from those moments. Like we're alive. So there's, there's no escaping like something happening, but it's what you do next. It's like what you do in that moment. And can you condition yourself to to use that to make yourself healthier and stronger, which Fortunately, at this point, I had done a lot of work in that space. So even though this was a brand new challenge, never had a murdered parent before, for example, but I did have had it. No, no, I didn't. It was brand new. It's good. I only had two and the other one's still alive. Um, And so the experience was totally new, absolutely overwhelming. But fortunately, I had done enough work that I could still use what I had to pick myself back up again. And Part of that was awareness. So if you're familiar with narcissism at all, narcissists are really bad at conditioning their children to feel what's called emotional enmeshment. Emotional enmeshment is where you teach them that they are responsible for your feelings, which is not true. Mm -hmm. In case anyone out there is still struggling with that message, let me be the voice of reason. That's not true. You are not responsible for your parents' emotions. Everyone is responsible for their own emotions. But unfortunately, children of narcissists don't know that. They're not taught that. They're, in fact, actively taught the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so in situations like with my mom, you know, I immediately took 
all of that on myself growing up, that it was me. I had to do something about that. And sometimes when difficult things like her death happens, that old stuff can come up, that old programming can kind of rise to the surface. But if you have enough tools in place and enough practice, you can say, I see that for what it is. It's old programming. It's it's not true. It's my fear speaking. It's my heartbreak speaking. And I don't have to treat it like truth. I don't have to treat it like reality. I can just make space for that and instead take steps in the direction that I want to go in. I'm not chained to this in any way. I can actually yeah. do whatever I want in this moment. But again, it takes a lot of time to feel that sort of self-control, self-possession in difficult moments, because we definitely don't always feel self-possessed, do we? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, not at all. So yeah, so that's what I did with that. That's so it very insightful because I think that I definitely am familiar with narcissism in a lot of ways from working with clients um, who truly have, I, I, I call it victim of narcissism. It truly is. Um, and also personally, I have experiences in that. And I think that it is really understanding what gaslighting is. And also like you're saying this, um, um, responsibility of emotions. It's unfortunate that sometimes we don't learn that until we're adults. Cause it would be yeah. so much more useful <laughs> as a child far more. Um, but here we are, you know, and that's why (laughs) we're, we're sharing these things and you have then taken all this and turned it into your next podcast, a well-cared for human. And we've brought that term up a lot, whether it's a well human or well-cared for human. And it seems obvious to what that would mean, but what does that mean to you? The very first episode is why self-care is a myth (laughs) because I, because I wanted to very immediately clarify that it was not drinking a bottle of Don Perignon in the bathtub with your lush bath products. Damn it. <laughs> you know? Damn it. Because that's I that love really that is, life. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't enjoy that? But it's definitely there's a commercialized aspect of self-care now that we can't escape. Oh, it's everywhere. Amen. But I and I began there, like everyone else, I began there, but I wasn't getting better. I was still having a really hard time processing all my trauma. And so I had to learn what actually makes a person well. And in that first episode, I outlined that I think it's four pillars. There are four pillars that make up a good relationship with yourself. Because for me, a well-cared-for human is a human that has a good relationship with themselves. They love themselves. They have a lot of compassion Mm. for themselves. They believe in themselves. They trust themselves. And, you know, trauma undermines all of that. It it breaks all of those pillars down. And depending on how much you've suffered, because that's the analogy I used is like, if you were a, a temple, for example, imagine those old Grecian temples with the little columns and the, you know, the pillars, If there's four of them and you're taking a lot of damage, you know, you might have to do a complete rebuild. That just might be your reality. Doesn't mean it can't be done. It just Mm -hmm. means that that's what you're working with. And so what are the tools for that rebuild? What does that rebuild look like? What do each of those pillars stand for? And so for me, I said that one pillar was your relationship with your body, how you talk to your body, how you care for your body, how you view your body. One pillar is your relationship with your mind and your emotions. I put mind and emotions together because they're so tightly entwined. Yeah. What we think is what makes us feel, what we feel makes us think things. And so I put them together. One pillar is your spirit. And that includes for me, creativity, any kind of spirituality. doesn't matter if you believe in God or, or you're an atheist, but just that connection to what it means to be alive, what your purpose is, what you want to do with your time, what means something to you. So your spirit. So just having a good relationship with you as a a spirit, not necessarily spiritual person, but your spirit. And then last, how to have good relationships with others. That's the fourth Mm -hmm. pillar. And all of those, they have tools, they have traps, (laughs) you know? And so I just, I try to go with different topics, talking about different aspects of the pillars. And so it's just building all four of them up until you have a really strong foundation in which you can have that great relationship with yourself. And then it doesn't matter if a meteoroid falls from earth and it hits one of your pillars or takes it out, you know, you still have the tools 
to rebuild and you can keep doing this as many times as you need to for your whole life and you will feel well cared for you will feel strong you will feel healthy you will feel centered and balanced that's my aspiration for myself and yeah. for other people so that's why i went with a well cared for human i love that i do think you need a fifth pillar though of dom perignon and bathtub <laughs> Well, I actually say that that could be part of the body care aspect of the body pillar. Like there's nothing wrong with being nice to your body. But speaking of fifth pillar, I have recently started to wonder if there is a fifth pillar, us and our relationship to the environment, because I care a lot about environmental issues. Me too. Uh, yeah. But I don't, I don't fully know as much about that yet as I would like to in order to talk, talk yes. about it confidently. I actually don't know if any humans on the planet do, which is kind of why we're in this boat, <laughs> but I, you know, something to look forward to, to constructing that fifth pillar and then being able to talk to people about it. But yeah, yeah. so that's where I'm at. Talking about mother nature and the bag of shit, bringing <laughs> it full circle is, yeah. you know, I have become more of an environmentalist because my daughter had earth day when she was like three years old, she's going on six now and has become obsessed with mother earth and taking care Aww. of it. And I was like, damn, we are ha handing these kids like a total bag of shit mm -hmm. of how we're treating this earth. Like it's horrible. Like not only are we passing down trauma, we're also passing down, like here is <laughs> an earth that is destroyed and you don't get to appreciate all the gorgeous beauty of it because it's gone. Yeah. Um, environmental so, trauma. I have a feeling that that's going to be a term we use in the coming years. Percent. Yeah. I've thought about that a lot because it also not literally mother earth, but in this sense, I mean, literally, but so much of who we are is the environment we put ourselves in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so whether that's literally the group of people or actually our earth, mm -hmm. it plays a part in who we are, but, um, you know, just to, you know, wrap up before we end, I loved what you said in terms of, um, before I mentioned Dom Perignon again, uh, the <laughs> meteor hitting your pillars, because I often have a similar sense at the beam life where it's not, uh, I don't call them pillars, but I call it like your blueprint and mm -hmm. how like you can't build a house without a blueprint because right. like, how would you, how would you know where the wiring goes? How would you know where the plumbing goes? How would you know how the rooms would lay out? Like you need your blueprint. And I have similar things in my blueprint as to what you're talking about with these pillars, because that is what's creating our foundation of, mm -hmm. and when our foundation is solid, that's when we can start to really eliminate some of these other things that then become passed on trauma. Right. Um, absolutely. So yeah, keep doing all the things <laughs> you're doing and you keep doing people. all the things you're doing. <laughs> helping people be well cared for. I'm going to yes. share the link, uh, in the show notes to both podcasts of yours, because I, I know people's ears are like, I'm ready to listen to <laughs> that story. And right. also, um, and I love that we didn't share the outcome and also, <laughs> yeah, gotta go listen. And also the tips and sharing you know, all the things about how we can just be better people to each other and to ourselves. And especially so, to ourselves. I feel like if you're good to yourself, you truly good to yourself, not in like a involves narcissistic way, but if you truly understood self-compassion, the rest would take care of itself. We just oh my God. don't always know what that means. It's so funny. You say that total sidebar. So this morning I, I had my first day of my level up your life boot camp. And I like to run running is my thing, how I just get like amped up for things. Mm -hmm. And I was running on my Peloton. I took a class today. Ashton Kutcher is doing these like classes <laughs> on there random, but he had Adam Grant on there who I love. He's an incredible personal development person. And they were talking specifically about self-compassion today. And it was, I'm not going to go into the whole story about Ashton training, not having, he was like. I do have self-compassion. I'm great. I am amazing. And Adam was like, well, that's self-esteem. Yeah. Not, not self-compassion. No. Self-compassion, according to Kristen Neff, you know, who's a, a professor at UT who wrote the book about having self-compassion is she defines it as like caring for yourself the way you would care for a dear friend, a family member, somebody you deeply love. Mm -hmm. That is self-compassion. And when you hear it that way, you're like, 
wow, I have a lot of work to do because <laughs> <laughs> the way I talk to wow, myself. That is a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well then, okay. Um, I am at the bottom of this self-compassion <laughs> mountain, but truly when I think about it, a lot of people think it is self-esteem. Like I'm great. I'm bold. I'm courageous. I can yeah, do this. No, it's different. It's totally different. Totally fucking different. Self-compassion um, so, is when you look at yourself and you've totally just screwed up and you could still say, yeah, you weren't I'm your here. best and you didn't do what you wanted to do, but it still doesn't mean you're a piece of crap. It just means yeah. this is how it shook out. And yeah, it's, it's totally different. It was, it may be probably a good example is how you speak to your child when she mm-hmm. does something quote bad, like she does something that um, you wish would have gone different. How do you speak to her? I'm sure it's quite lovingly, right? You don't, yeah. you're not like yeah. you are, I hope you don't say she's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't you're be like my dad. You're <laughs> a piece of shit. No, I'm sure you talk to her very lovingly and it's closer to that. So if, you know, for the parents out there, it's closer to how you would want to talk to your children who are struggling with something that's more the yeah. vein of self-compassion and self-esteem. Yeah. And unless you have a narcissist parent, that's like, well, that was <laughs> shitty of you. You could have done better then yes, that is that way. For and sure. you'll, you'll never be good. So it doesn't yeah. matter even if you try harder. Cause you're, <laughs> so there's always oh going to be somebody better. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, Corey, I loved this conversation. Oh, thank you for having I'm me. so grateful for you and just all the things that you have brought to this community. And to me, I look forward to this friendship and relationship continuing. So thank you so much. Where is the best place for listeners to find and connect with you? Sure. I have a website. I have both who killed my mother.com, but also my name, Corey Mstrom.com who killed my mother's probably easier for you to yeah. spell. <laughs> so you could just go there and there's a contact button. If you ever wanted to email me, reach out. I'm also soon going to open up the well-cared for human podcast for questions, kind of like a because I've been giving general tips for how to rebuild your life, but everyone's different. Like everyone is struggling with different things. And so I was like, it might be really nice if once a week, you know, I answered a question, if someone had something really specific going on, I could address like, what, what would I try to do in that situation? Um, So if you do ever want to reach out, you want to ask me anything, or you just want to comment on the show, I'd love to hear from you. I do love connecting with people. Don't let my introversion scare you off. I do like, I do like people. Don't I worry. would literally never know you're an introvert. It's hilarious. Yeah. But I mean, it's, I'll just need to lay. say that. Yeah. I, I would never know. No, I am loving and I'm friendly as a person, but I will absolutely go lay on my couch for an hour after this. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's a battery uh, issue, not a, not yes. a willingness issue. <laughs> I totally, my partner is same way, like has to be producer, very mm-hmm. like energetic. And then after work, they're like, Good night, everyone. I'm done. And I'm like, speak to me in three hours. Yeah. I'm like, the party's just begun. Oh my Um, God. I'm jealous. (laughs) I'm jealous. Because I will get tired too. (laughs) Oh, I love it, girl. We'll have a wonderful rest of your day. And I can't wait to share this episode. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Beam Life. I'd be so honored if you would take a sec to leave a review. Ready to take the next step and join the sisterhood? The Beam Life community is a place where you can just take off the mask, feel seen, and form authentic connections with other like-minded, kick-ass women. We do not do surface-level shit in that group, babe. Click on the link in the show notes or head to the Beam Life Create Your Dream Life community on Facebook. I can't wait to see you there.